Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Tina Traster. Tina is a socially conscious, award-winning journalist, author, and filmmaker her award-winning 75-minute documentary, Catnip Nation, advocates for TNR through the stories of four Good Samaritans and the obstacles and tribulations they experience. Tina's work has appeared in scores of newspapers, magazines, and literary journals, including the New York Times, the New York Post, Huffington Post, the Daily Beast, the Atlantic, Red Book, Family Circle, Parade, Time Out New York, Audubon, Ski Magazine, and many others. She's the author of the award-winning memoir, Rescuing Julia Twice, A Mother's Tale of Russian Adoption and Overcoming Reactive Attachment Disorder. Since 2006, Tina has written the Burb Appeal column for the New York Post. Tina, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we had you on the show a couple of years ago talking about this project, Catnip Nation, that you were working on at that point in time. I believe you were in the editing time period at that point. And so why don't you just give our listeners a bit of an update, sort of what's happened over the last year and a half or so? Okay, happy to do that. Well, we pulled over the finish line in early 2019. And actually, there's really something about having a finished film. What you really want to do is share it with the world and have it do the work that it's intended to do. So what we've been doing over the last year is my partner, Lennon Nersesian, and myself have taken the film onto the film festival circuit. And the festival circuit gives a film exposure. It potentially lands you a distributor, which we have successfully done, and it starts to get the film out into the world. What has thrilled and humbled us at the same time is that we have picked up two best documentary awards one at the Big Apple Film Festival and the other at the Hoboken International Film Festival, as well as winning the Audience Award at the Kansas International Film Festival. We played at the Tallgrass Film Festival as well back in October. And I have to say that one of the most gratifying moments that we've had since the release of the film has been the experience at Tallgrass. Because two of our Good Samaritans, the um, husband and wife couple, Sue and Ray Jones, were from that area and they had been working with the local rescue outfit and their story had gained a lot of exposure in the local press. We had rooms of two to 300, two days running, which is pretty robust for a film festival. And to be in a room and to take the film for a test drive with so many people who understand the plight of the ferals the rationale for TNR, trap, neuter, return, and the forces that they are up against. It's been one of the highlights so far of putting Catnip Nation out into the world. Right now, just to let everybody know, the film is available on DVD, and you can find that film on our website, catnipnation.com, and through our distributor, 
we are in the process of getting distribution on streaming services. That is still TBA, but we're just so excited that the film is out there. I could say that we've had orders just in the last two weeks from New Zealand, Canada, Germany, and England. That's just in the two weeks since we've put the film out. I mention that because it's a local problem, it's a statewide problem, it's a national problem, and it's an international problem. And we're all in this together. And I think that's the point of Catnip Nation, is to bring this issue to the four people, but three very emotional stories. So how did you find these four stories? Did they approach you or how did you find them? Well, once we um, waded into the subject and started to really learn about the crisis of ferals, there are, according to the ASPCA, over 90 million feral cats living in the United States. I'm sure there are probably more. You know, once you start to kind of wade into a subject with the internet being what it is, you know, you're able to find out where the fires are flaming, you know. So somebody had tipped me off to the fact that out in Augusta, Kansas, there was an older couple in their 70s who had been fined and were facing jail time for feeding and watering some feral cats in an alley behind their business. And I just tracked them down. I found their daughter first, and that led me to Sue Jones. And we started with a phone conversation. And then over the course of a couple of years, we went to Kansas multiple times and spent days with them and really got to know them and really got to understand their situation. Countless hours over the phone. Their story winds its way through court trial, and we were there every step of the way in court with them. So it's getting with that deep dive, you know, we've been able to tell stories that are not just academic, but that these are stories that reveal the toll and the price that this takes on people's lives and what they're willing to do and what they're willing to sacrifice. So with the documentary and the fact that you've been showing it in Kansas, have you seen any changes? Have there been any behavioral changes in that area? Well, I'm not on the ground there. So I know that when we were out there in Kansas, we were invited to a fundraiser that we went to after the film. Later that weekend, we went to a local fundraiser. What did they call it? Meow something. And, you know, they're working on getting TNR programs up and running. And they're trying to learn from the mistakes that they've seen around them or the opposition that they've seen around them. It's really an uphill battle. And I think that if we think about TNR, just how to resolve this issue more globally, I think what we need in this country is a grassroots movement where it becomes an imperative for politicians to recognize the role of a municipality in supporting TNR and having enough advocacy and education to show that TNR is the logical tool, you know, in the toolkit of the ecosystem of how to manage cats. I mean, in its most unsexy essence, TNR is just about population control. And we have a problem with cats. For so many of us, it's personal because of the way we feel about these animals. You know, it might not be the same as a population explosion of geese or deer, but it is in fact the very distinction of the cat versus animals that we view as truly wild that makes us fight for them. And if there were more people out there at town halls and writing their legislators 
and demanding that we address this problem. I think that just like everything else in this country, whether it's recycling or whether it's climate change or this is just an interesting aside, but I've been noticing in the New York Times articles from both Macy's and Bloomingdale's saying that they're both discontinuing selling fur. Yeah. And the thing is, is that what we see in this country is that we may not feel this way at the moment, but we always have a voice. As voters, we always have a voice. Cats do not have a voice. Animals don't have a voice. But as voters, as constituents, as communities, when we organize and we're heard loudly enough, we can make change. And that's really the point of this film is to show that we're not powerless. Yeah, and you make some great points there about the role that municipalities need to play with regards to the overall health and wellness of cats in our community and understanding that there are some proactive actions out there that can be done. There's some reactive actions out there that can be done. There are actions that are harmful and actions that are helpful. My thing, I feel like it's extremely unfortunate that many of these situations, these types of conversations have to happen when there's a high stress level going on because there's significant conflict already happening. In my utopian dream world, I would, you know, have these conversations with municipal leaders before any sort of conflict happens to be as proactive as possible and sit down with the board of health officials or the police or both fire department. I've worked in various different scenarios and communities where really it's the police and fire department who are your greatest advocates. And in other communities, it's your board of health that's your greatest advocate, finding out who your municipal greatest advocate is and then working your way through the system that way. But when things are already very confrontational, it's a hard process to work through. It seems like there's a lot of emotion, a lot of energy. Did you see a lot of that happening in your documentary? Yeah, so you're making such a brilliant point. Drama tells the best story, right? So what we honed in on were three situations that could not have been more fraught with tension, emotion, and I guess in every case, you know, maybe two sides that had something at stake. And that is how we help tell this story. But you are so right, which is that if this issue were dealt with in not during the storm, but in a state of calm, in a state of, you know, plotting, in a state of methodical, logistical steps of people coming together to do that kind of education, to preempt the problem, that is in fact ideal. I can tell you from getting involved in my own local community along those lines, it still doesn't always work out because you are often up against preconceptions and public officials that can't seem to open their minds to this, their hearts to this. The constituent of people who come in to talk about this issue can still be stigmatized as the crazy cat ladies and not necessarily given the respect that they or the issue deserves. What is needed is for grassroots groups to essentially be as professional as Washington, D.C. lobbyists. I mean, they need to come at this in an educated way as professionals, as people who have a solution for really a problem that is a municipality's problem, and to be able to you know, stay the course while you get negative feedback from the animal control officer who's been doing the job for 25 years and can't see to do it any other way, or from the town supervisor who doesn't see the votes there. It takes a tremendous methodical effort to educate people who are often in control and who make these decisions. 
It also involves, I think, finding the right angle and understanding that not everybody out there might be as passionate about, you know, feral cats that we may be, but there might be other issues that might be of interest to those folks that revolve around the scenario and you'll come to the same conclusion as to what the process is at the end, but yet you have two different end objectives. It might be around a bird issue and wanting to make sure your cat population reduces in size. It might be a social service issue and ensuring that owned cats in the community are getting access to a free or low-cost spay-neuter for their cats, which then ultimately helps impact the number of free-roaming cats that are out there. So you also have to try and figure out what would move the needle for them rather than always saying, well, you know, this is the only way. So there's a lot of listening that has to happen too. And I think that for any groups that are out there, it really is a great thing, you know, regardless of whether you like them or not, is to get together with your elected officials at least once a year, maybe even twice a year to sort of have a state of the cat conversation out there. Are you struggling to convince your local officials to embrace TNR? Maybe they're responding to cat complaints with a proposal to ban feeding. Or perhaps you want to make sure that your local cat ordinances are fully supporting your efforts. What if I told you there was one document you could hand to your local policymakers that lays out the arguments for humane, effective community cat management? Well, there is. Focused on what local leaders want and need to know, the Managing Community Cats Guide for Municipal Leaders, a publication of the Humane Society of the United States, offers an in-depth look at community cat management programs with proactive approaches and collaborative efforts that local communities can use to effectively and humanely reduce the free-roaming cat population. Visit animalsheltering.org forward slash cats to download a free copy of the Managing Community Cats Guide for Municipal Leaders or learn how you can order print copies at animalsheltering.org forward slash cats. You'll also find additional resources to protect cats in your community, including a return to field manual, catio brochures, cats and wildlife information, and more. Visit animalsheltering.org forward slash cats. Technology and animal rescue? Yes, there's an app for that. Check out Dubert.com where you can connect with over 1,200 organizations and 27,000 volunteers across the country. Dubert is fully automated so you can create transport requests for the animals that need a ride across town or across the country. The system will automatically notify the volunteers and manage the sign-up process for you. Dubert even has powerful integrations like importing your animal profiles from Shelter Love and Shelter Buddy or automatically pushing your transport requests to your Facebook groups and pages. But that's not all. Dubert has a fundraising module, an online store, and auction house where you can sell your items, and even a mobile app on both Android and Apple for those people on the go. Check out Dubert.com to get signed up for free today and start saving more time while you save more animals. You do. You need a lot of buy-in. And you're right. I have found that sometimes it is the police and the firemen, and you never know who your ally is going to be in this fight. But what I have found is that unless the grassroots groups is itself cohesive and professional, correct, it's just too easy for the infighting to start or for the groups to fall apart. Oh, I agree 100%. The, the groups need to behave professionally and have a, a single voice and understand that each individual is representing the group as a whole and they need to have a clear direction and platform that they know that they're standing on and that that's discussed at a board meeting or a committee meeting or whatever. They have to, if you're going to be an advocate, you have to have a unified presence, so to speak, with regards to that. 
And you need people who have those skills, you know, have been a trapper for 15 years and want this change, but that doesn't necessarily make you qualified to be the educator, to be the advocate, to be the organizer. So it's a multi-pronged effort that's needed community by community until and unless this bubbles up through. I mean, I know this sounds shallow, right? But our greatest hope is that we can get Candid Nation into the hands of a celebrity like Joaquin Phoenix, for example, who gave that moving speech at the Oscars the other night to give this issue the oxygen that it needs. I mean, I know that sounds superficial, but this is such a difficult thing to do town by town, village by village, city by city, although there's not really a choice. Nevertheless, if this became a national issue, you know, one that was recognized even in Washington, I think that it would be such a bump to be able to, I mean, the problem is, is simply just not enough people know about this. You know, we think we're drenched in this topic and, and we think that if we walk onto the street and ask 10 people what's TNR, maybe eight would know, but I think it's closer to two. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. I went to a conference for podcasters and we had a table there and it was a very different conversation than we had at any animal welfare conference. They all knew what a podcast was, but they had no idea what a community cat was or a feral cat where when you're at the animal welfare conferences, they're like, what's a podcast? I don't know what that is. So I totally agree with you is that we get in our own little world and we don't realize that this really is an issue that not many people that trap new to return, return to field, none of that is anything that folks really know about across the nation as a whole. It's true. And I mean, if you think about like climate change, you know, but for the amplification of starting with really Al Gore and all the way through to today, to Greta, but for that national stage, we wouldn't be having a national conversation. What has to happen is something has to take. And I really think that given the passion that we have as a nation for cats, given the obsession over cat videos and the ways in which cats are weaved into all kinds of media and storytelling and what have you, we have an animal that is a sympathetic animal. One that probably, you know, most of the population, if not 80% of the population can relate to. We just need the conversation to be elevated. We hope that the documentary starts that conversation. And that's why the documentary, it's not an educational documentary. It's not academic. It's not here's how you do TNR. It's not like that at all. I guess it's really a political documentary. It's one that says, hey, we have a problem here in New Jersey and Long Island and Kansas and everywhere else around the country. And when you become aware of this problem, you can do anything about this. You can just write to your legislators. You can blog about it. You can talk about it on Facebook. You can just get the conversation going. If one celebrity can find us out there and amplify this message, I believe we can really take this from the individual groups that are struggling and doing such hard work and fundraising and educating to a, you know, a bigger conversation that will really help the work. So if folks are interested in ordering the DVD through you, how would they do that? So you just have to go to catnivnation.com right now. There's a DVD store and you just click on that and you can pay through PayPal. That's great. We'll make sure that link is in the show notes too. Tina, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I just do want to give a shout out to all the people who are out there doing this kind of work. And they have changed my life by allowing me in to tell their stories and to show me what heroism looks like. And, you know, I think that if a filmmaker can't be inspired to make a film, so I always 
thank them for helping us tell the story and for all the people out there in the trenches doing the work. And I hope there's, you know, a celebrity footprint out there that catches this podcast and gets in touch with me at ttraster at aol.com and helps me get the message out into the world. That's fantastic. Tina, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future with any more news that you have about the documentary or any other further projects that you're working on. And for my listeners out there, please consider sharing this podcast with others. As Tina was saying, the more folks that can find out about Trap New to Return can find out about these stories, the better that we're all going to be for the cats in our community. So please share this podcast with others, either on your social media, with friends, email it around. Please consider sharing. So Thank you so much, Tina. I want to thank you again. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 